Hello, I have the lovely Sarah with me, whom I uh, met recently at Theft Crime. I'm very excited to have her with me today. I will let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself. <laughs> Hello, my name is Sarah Bax Horton. I'm the author of One-Armed Jack. It's a non-fiction re-examination of the Jack the Ripper case. And I wrote it in honour of my police ancestor, in early 2017, I discovered that my great-great-grandfather, Harry Garrett, worked on the Jack the Ripper case. And I was so thrilled by the discovery that I researched his career, further researched the Jack the Ripper case, and wrote a book. Um, when you found out your link to your ancestor and all the research, why did you decide to write a book as a result of that? My chance discovery happened at a particular time in my life when I was on unpaid sabbatical from my work. And I suppose if you're a busy person and you've always worked and you end up not working, you're always looking for another project. And I've always been fascinated by family history. I made a chance discovery about my police ancestor. And when I realized that I was connected to someone, not royalty, not nobility, but a police officer who'd worked on the most challenging investigation in police history, I wanted to give something back and I wanted to give him his own small part of history. And I decided it was a subject that was worth writing a book about. Um, why do you think it is that people are still so interested after all these years? Do you think it's just they're not knowing? I, I agree. I think there is a lot about the mystery. 135 years later, hopefully with my book, we are closer to understanding who Jack the Ripper was because I put forward a new prime suspect, Hyam Hyams, a Whitechapel cigar maker, who had an injury to his left elbow in early 1888, was epileptic, suffered from mania, delirium demands, and a very disturbed individual who was violent towards his wife, mother, and other individuals, and who I propose in my book as Jack the Ripper. Um, when you first sat down and started to write, what did you find more difficult than you were expecting? What's particularly difficult with the Jack the Ripper case when writing non-fiction is how many theories, suppositions, uh, the whole wealth of material of other people who've engaged with the case over a huge period of time. And although some of the evidence material is quite thin, the sheer volume of general material is huge. And I got to a point when I realised that because I was writing the book in honour of my police ancestor, I wanted to get back to the original sources and to what the policemen of the day said about the case. And so I kind of took a clean line through all of the available information and I cut out a lot of theorising. And what I discovered was that the CID chief of the day, Robert Anderson, claimed publicly in a published memoir that the police had solved the crime without a doubt.
and he gave a profile of an unnamed individual. And that man was a Polish Jew, an East Ender, who was seen by a key eyewitness who refused to testify against a fellow Jew, who suffered from paroxysms or fits, which fits very clearly with the epilepsy, and who stopped killing when he was incarcerated in a lunatic asylum. And all of those features match Hyam Hyams, as do eyewitness accounts of a man with a stiff arm and peculiar gait or way of walking, who was seen either accosting some of the women or running away from a crime scene afterwards. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and the research you had to do, I guess, was extensive. And um, was there a lot of other interesting things you learned along the way? I found out an incredible amount about the case. I found it truly fascinating. I had quite a minimal knowledge before I started. I think we've all heard of the case and we all feel that we know something about it. But on searching the memory banks, perhaps one feels one knows less than one thought in the first place, perhaps. Um, I discovered some fascinating things about my police ancestor, not all of which is in the book because it became a true Ripper book, although written in his honour. And one of the things which I discovered, which I'm really proud of, is that he helped to save 11 people from a house fire in Whitechapel in October 1888. At the height of the Ripper investigation, he was on night duty at Lemon Street Police Station and the fire was actually in a building opposite. And he and colleagues ran up a smoke-filled staircase, uh, putting their own lives at considerable risk and rescued the family. It was a Jewish family which has illustrious descendants who you will have heard of. The most well-known is the late Dr. Oliver Sacks, who wrote The Man Who Mistake, Mistook His Wife for a Hat and so on. And um, another one was a Nobel Prize winner, Robert Auman. So um, I'm just so proud that he performed that act of heroism. Have you got the writing bug now? As Are you uh, going to carry on? Yes, I'm continuing. There's more material on the police Whitechapel murders files. And so I'm continuing to pursue them. And, you know, I've just been so lucky to have completed the book. Uh, I've got it published by a fantastic publisher. And there's been a lot of interest in it. So I'm just really delighted by that. And when did it actually come out? It came out on the 31st of August and it's available um, in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. Brilliant. And um, how long did it take you from the first idea of writing it to actually getting it out into the world? So um, it's a time lapse which may, you know, it's slightly alarming amount of time. 
So probably about six and a half years elapsed time. However, I wasn't working on it continuously because I did get to a stage where I felt it was finished and it is quite difficult to get an agent and publisher. Uh, The pandemic didn't help. I believe it did slow down the industry and possibly made it a little bit more commercial as well. So it did take quite a long time. but I do consider myself uh, very fortunate and it is wonderful to be the other side of the publishing date. I've heard longer the fiction book, so that's not a bad time. (laughs) (laughs) And um, you said that you found it difficult to find an agent and publisher, but you did eventually. So how did that come about? I was extremely lucky. I sat next to a man at the National Archives at Kew when we were each researching our own books. And um, he asked me what I was doing, uh, seemed very interested in me and my work. And so I explained my tale of woe about the difficulty of getting an agent and getting published. And he um, gave me a a virtual introduction to Andrew Loney, who's my current agent. And so I was very grateful for that stroke of luck. And Andrew read my book and liked it and was willing to take me on. Wow, brilliant. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I was very lucky. Yeah. Um, I totally forgot what I was just going to ask you then. (laughs) got distracted so easily um would you consider writing crime fiction now that you've written non-fiction and you've met the community I absolutely love crime fiction and I have since I was a child reading Sherlock Holmes Agatha Christie and all of the wonderful modern stuff that's been published since then For me at the moment, I feel that nonfiction is my skill and I'm going to keep at it. But I would never say never for crime fiction. Would would there be any other areas of history that you particularly like to cover? Although I love the Victorian era, I'm also interested in the early 20th century and I can certainly see myself moving into more modern times. Um, But I'm not entirely sure at the moment uh, because I'm keeping on the Whitechapel murders, uh, I think for the next couple of years at least. And do you enjoy all the research that you have to do? I love it. I really thrive off it. And this is why I believe I'm probably a non-fiction writer at heart. And also I do find it very inspiring to write because you're writing about true events with real people. And I just find it fascinating. And I do also believe that truth is stranger than fiction. Um, Although having read some fiction, maybe I'm slightly wrong in that respect. Um, But um, who knows, who knows about the fiction? I, I certainly love reading it and I've enjoyed mixing with the community. What's the weirdest or most interesting thing you had to do as research? That's such an interesting question. I think walking through Whitechapel, trying to work out escape routes for my murderer. So where he would have gone from the crime scene 
because he didn't always return directly home. On the night of the double event in September 1888, he killed two women at two different locations within 45 minutes of each other. And he may have hidden out at two different locations before returning home. So that's a really complex escape route, which I explore in my book. Blimey, especially with everything being so different nowadays as well. That must have been quite challenging. Is there Jack the walks and stuff in London as well? There are. I mean, I've been very lucky. I went on two. When I first came to London, two old school friends persuaded me to go on one. And I went on the most brilliant one done by Ripper expert Donald Rumbelow. More recently, when I realised that I really needed to get to know the streets of Whitechapel for my book, I asked uh, one of the main companies if I could have a private tour. Um, And this was arranged with a Whitechapel writer. And I was allowed to take a group of friends. And so we all went together. And it was just so helpful because sometimes you do need an expert to show you the exact spot, particularly when it's been built over and developed uh, in the passage of time. And I found it very helpful and it got up my confidence. So I was then able to go out and continue uh, that kind of walking and research by myself. Has anyone ever given you any sort of negative feedback for either keeping bringing up a case that's so old or bringing in another theory that can never be proved, I guess? Funnily enough, a lot of people are absolutely intrigued by me and my idea. Um, And I think a couple of slight naysayers haven't read the book and I just do think you know I'd be interested in people's views if they've read the book but if they haven't read the book or don't want to read the book then that's fine yeah I mean you know obviously even I'm interested like I love the whole thing around it but there must be people out there that are just like oh yeah and people do like tones don't they negative as well as positive well, I think there is an assumption that if you're not already a published author, that it's never going to work out for you. And although as a debut writer, it may feel like that sometimes, I can categorically say it's not the case. You know, there's room enough in the world for millions of books. Millions more books will be written. Many of them will be by people who've never written a book before, maybe even never thought of writing one. So, you know, if you want to do it, you've got to do it. Now you started writing, what's your big goal? What do you want to achieve most? I really want people to read my book and enjoy it and think that was worth investing a few hours of my time in. They find it fascinating, an intellectual challenge, um, makes you think, makes you question received knowledge about the case. I certainly tried to bust a few myths. um, And I just really hope that people have an interesting and enjoyable experience. And we were talking before we started recording Anna have to cry about non-fiction authors not really being featured at uh, book events. So is that something that you'd like to push for more? 
I would like to push for more interest in nonfiction. And I feel very strongly that to the audience, they don't always perceive a genre divide between fiction and nonfiction. Certainly with historical fiction, much of it is extremely similar to nonfiction. And with a huge amount of research, based on true stories, with true real-life personalities in the books. So I don't always think the genre divides are helpful, you know, when thinking about what an audience would like. Just thinking, actually, I think there's an award, not sure if it's uh, Harrogate, the Daggers for Nonfiction. I know one of the awards has a nonfiction elements they do recognize it to a point there's not quite enough to have a panel yeah 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 I think it might be the others I can't remember I've been to that many I can't <laughs> there is a non-fiction dagger and um there are other non-fiction prizes uh, I need to see how my book lands with the audience and what the response is uh, before thinking about anything like that. Yeah, so it's only been out a week so far, hasn't it? So yeah. <laughs> what's the um, reaction been like so far? I've had some fabulous reviews and people who've thoroughly enjoyed reading it. And yeah, I'm hoping to get some more uh, in the coming months. How have you found um, marketing and pushing it? Because I know a lot of authors find that the most difficult thing. I think I would have found it difficult, but my publisher has appointed a publicist who's really very good. And so I do have that support and I have someone finding opportunities for me. I also, through my network, have managed to find a few opportunities for myself. And it is something that you get used to. You can learn how to give interviews. You become more aware of the type of questions you might be asked. And so it gets easier. But uh, live television, I have done. And that is the greatest challenge because you're thinking, well, if anything goes wrong, nobody's going to edit this out, you know, but it, it was fine because the interviewer generally looks after you and kind of leads you through. So how far are you into book two? Oh, I'm not sure if I can answer that question, but I've certainly done a lot of research and thinking and some of which I actually did for my first book because in the beginning, I didn't know the boundaries of my first book and there are 11 unexplained deaths on the police files. So I looked at all of them. So I have quite a huge volume of unused material to work through, which is great because as a writer, you never really want to stop. So um, I'm lucky. I don't think I'm going to stop now. <laughs> Good. I like to hear that. <laughs> um. So when you do get to chill and not write, what do you enjoy doing? What do you enjoy reading? I love Kate Atkinson, Joanne Harris in particular at the moment. They're probably my favourites. I love Hilary Mantel also, and I'm just so glad that she finished her great work. Um, I like short stories, poetry, I love the old classics. I'm never bored of an ag. 
can go back to Agatha Christie any day of the week. I adore her. Um, there's just so much great stuff out there. And there are also the modern reinterpretations, uh, you know, the Miss Marple stories and so on, which I also enjoy. Did you have any big fangirl moments at Capital Crime? And is there any author that you'd particularly love to meet that you haven't met yet? Well, because I'm a member of the Society of Authors, I've met Joanne Harris several times, but she always makes me cry. I mean, not she makes me cry. The act of meeting her makes me cry. So I'm going to cry now. And um, I'm always like this with Joanne Harris. No, she's got used to me by now. And uh, she signed her latest book for me at Capital Crime, which I was delighted about. Um yeah, I suppose there are so many writers that I would love to meet, but it's not just meeting them, it's whether it would be possible to talk to them about their work. And that isn't always possible from a fangirl perspective. But um, yeah, I feel very lucky to have met uh, the few that I have met. Yeah, um, I met Lee Child this year and that was something special and he was so lovely. Um, so um, I think I've pretty much... Um, big authors would be Stephen King. I've only got left to meet, really. I got to meet Kathy Wright last year, and she is one of the reasons I took a degree. And I got to tell her, and that was pretty cool. So, yeah, it is. Um, but, yeah, never got to chat to her apart from saying that. But I don't care. I was happy. Yeah, it is wonderful to be able to tell people who've helped you how much they've helped you. That feels like a big repayment of the debt. Yeah. yeah, I think it completely threw her as well because everyone's fangirling, oh, we love your books and stuff. And then I come up and we're like, oh, yeah, I took a degree because of you. And I literally was like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, that yeah. was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, if you were able to be able to sit with an author and talk to them about their work or to have them as a mentor, who would you choose? Oh, you're asking me all the difficult questions, Donna. <laughs> um, I mean, you've mentioned Lee Child. I am so fascinated that you've met him. I would love to meet him. And I just love the kind of intense kind of thriller aspect of his work. I find that fascinating and his characterization. And um, I really love the concept of getting your retaliation in first. This is pretty good. Um so maybe Lee Child and his brother, wouldn't that be a great masterclass? Yeah. And they're so chilled. They're the most chilled people in the world. It's just nuts. It really, really is. Um, I'd love to talk to Andrew more, I think, you know, being in his brother's shadow and then now being in charge of the massive Reacher franchise, I guess. But yeah, Lee Child was one of the most chilled men I've ever met. It was amazing. It's very cool as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that moment. I feel as though it might be possible for him to meet me to meet him now. Yeah. Yeah. He's still, I mean, I think he lives in some ranch in America. Apparently it smokes weed. <laughs> but you know, if you can, then why not? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and another possibly tricky question. If you're able to time travel just for a visit either forwards or backwards, where would you go to? I would go to Whitechapel, 
um, for as long as possible across the year of 1888. I'd find out what Jack the Ripper was up to and answer some of the questions that I possibly leave unresolved in my book. And I would meet my police ancestor and I would shake his hand. So that would be very exciting for me. Um, would you be interested in writing about the police of the era? Because that's quite an interesting time for policing, wasn't it? So obviously they don't have what we have now, but they still done quite a good job in catching a lot of the criminals. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I don't like to write a book that's been well written about before. And I mean, where you can pinpoint just an excellent book where you think the author's got it exactly right. And there are some very good books about um, the policing in the Victorian era and also specific to Jack the Ripper. So I feel I would need to have something new or different, a different angle perhaps, um, because I wouldn't want to recreate somebody else's just brilliant book because I don't think that would be the right thing to do. Um, I am interested in Victorian policing and I suppose through my book and hopefully my future work, I do have a focus on it, but I suppose it's not the whole subject of the book. And is there anything that you have found out doing your research, either about Jack the Ripper or just general Victoria and London that can really shock you that you had no idea about? I think a couple of things. I think, first of all, no idea that the police of the day had declared the case to be solved because it's always put forward as being this immense mystery. But they not only said that it was solved, they gave some identifying information about the man. And the City of London police even said that he'd been chased from the scene of Mitre Square into a, possibly an adjoining building. So this was all completely new to me. And this is what I focused on in the book. Um, the other thing that shocked me is the, uh, the destitution fact that there was no safety net for any of these people and really the difficulty of just surviving on the Victorian streets and uh, my police ancestor's brother actually became an alcoholic and was living in a Salvation Army hostel and in other kind of sheltered premises and ended up in Tutingbeck Lunatic Asylum. And when I researched his life, I felt really sorry for him and his family and everything they went through. And, you know, with the difficulties that he had in to keep his life together, a very, very difficult time. And I'm longing to put his story in a book, but I don't currently have a vehicle to put it in, but hopefully I'll write about him one day. Yeah, I hope so. Because, yeah, I've read a book recently that talks about um, the poorhouses of London and it was shocking, really horrendous. So, yeah, I'm glad that things have moved on. Yes, yeah. Um, well, I don't think I have any more questions for you, and if you think there's anything obvious that I haven't asked you that you want to tell us. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. So do you just want to remind everyone 
where they can get the book from and where they can find out more about you if they'd like to. So my book is available widely online and in the bookshops and it's also an ebook and an audio book and um, there's quite a lot of information about me on my publisher's website that's Michael O'Mara Books. I'll um, publish the Amazon link um, when I post the interview for you as well. Thank you very much okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks.